Shalom and welcome to Seekers of Meaning, the podcast TV arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. I'm your host, Rabbi Richard Address. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. Uh, if you have uh, a comment or a question, by the way, please feel free to email me at rabbiaddress at jewishsacredaging.com. And as you know, these, these podcasts, uh, Seekers of Meaning podcasts, are designed to really explore some issues that really deal with the impact of longevity and the revolution in longevity on our families, our communities, and our own individual universes. Um, and we thank you for joining us. We also thank our sponsor for these podcasts. Uh, we are pleased to welcome the Rothkoff Elder Law Firm, which provides a full range of assistance to individuals and family in the areas of elder law. You can reach them on their website, rothkofflaw.com. That's R-O-T-H-K-O-F-F law, rothkofflaw.com. And you can call them at 877-475-1101. Uh, we're going to explore an issue that um, continues to emerge in some of our classes and conversations that we do at Jewish Sacred Aging and many of the podcasts uh, that have emerged in the Seekers of Meaning. And uh, that is an issue having to do with our approach as a Jewish tradition to aspects of mental health. And we welcome uh, Rabbi Sandra Cohen, uh, an expert in this area, a teacher uh, of uh, classes and workshops involved with NAMI. Um, in Colorado, and she joins us from our home in Denver. So welcome, Rabbi Cohen. It's nice to see you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's such a privilege. Well, welcome. Um, let, let me let me get right to it. You In your website and um, some of your introductory material, you write um, that you're involved in mental health outreach in the Jewish community nationally, and that you use Jewish traditional values as a model for teaching those uh, that that issue so translate that into uh, those of us who live in new jersey you know uh what does that mean uh what jewish values you mean there's jewish values that have to do with mental health uh, what wh what are you talking about well i think that when we're talking about mental health issues and stigma that there are several jewish that mitzvot or midot values that come into play. We don't may, may not realize it. For example, the very um, notion of haknasat uh, orchim, welcoming guests. So how do we do that? What does that mean around mental health? Well, it means things like talking about mental health from the bima when we're setting up a mishaberak, when we're praying for people's healing, that we pray for mental health issues as well as physical health issues. It means we have literature in our lobbies and on our websites about mental health resources, which means that people will be able to get help they might need. But it also signifies that we know about mental health issues here in this congregation. We're not afraid of them. We have resources. We have involvement. Um, visiting the sick. Again, um, People tend to step back from visiting the sick when someone's mentally ill because they don't know what to do or they don't know how to fix it or it's scary. Um, I have a friend of mine. So a few years ago, just before the pandemic, it turned out, I was briefly hospitalized in a psych hospital um, for my bipolar disorder. And I had a friend of mine with whom I, I learned. She's about 15, 20 years younger than I am. And we learned Talmud together. And my chavruta, she said, she said to herself, huh, should I go visit? And then she said, you know, I thought if you broke your leg and were in the hospital, I would go visit you. So if we mean mental illness is illness, I, I'll go visit you. There's no embarrassment. There's no shame, which is true. 
And we want to be able to say that so you can visit the sick. When someone's, say, depressed and can't get out of bed and can't get themselves to synagogue and is isolated, you can do just what you do for a family with a new baby, right? You go over, you hold the baby, put in a load of laundry, let mom and dad shower, give the baby back, and then you leave them with a kugel, right? So it's the same model for someone who's mentally ill, whatever their experience is. We can go over, we can bring dinner with us, we can help with laundry, we can watch the football game for an hour, and then we leave. We're not going to fix that other person, but we're going to help, right? We're going to take away, as the rabbis say, one-sixtieth of their illness, one-sixtieth which is the smallest amount that matters, but it matters is the idea. And then I would say, deeds of loving kindness helps to bring us outside of ourselves and really pay attention to what the other person's issues are, right? If they're feeling frantic and anxious, we want to be a calm holding presence. If they're feeling really depressed, we want to know we appreciate them, even if they don't feel good about themselves. If they're having you know, psychotic issues, we can just sit with them and be there quietly as a, a holding place. Um, and of course, <clears throat> if somebody's seriously mentally ill and they're not getting help, and especially if someone's suicidal, it's a good time for us to say, here's what my limits are and here's what I need to do. Someone you think is suicidal, you can call 988, which is the national suicide hotline. And it will not only will there be somebody on the other end of the phone to talk to someone who's either in distress or someone who cares about them, but they will hook you up with local resources. Um, and of course, if you're really worried about someone, you put them in your car and you take them to the emergency room, right? You have to know when you can't fix it and what your limits are. Um, and the final value I talk about a lot is the value of Derek uh, Eretz, which I want to talk about is just walking with one another, not expecting healing, right, to fix someone, not expecting to, right, to change the world, but we just walk with someone on their path so they don't have to be alone. That was a lot. Well, Sandy, what's the power of presence in all of this? You know, and um, it's the thing that our teens aren't getting, but it's the thing that we all miss during the pandemic, right? Sitting with someone in person is not the same as doing it online. Um, when I was a little girl, my grandfather, my father's father would come visit us or we would visit him. Um, and he kind of didn't know what to do with us. He didn't quite know how to connect with us. And he used to pat us like that, right? And as a kid, right? As a kid, I was like, what's going on? So now that I have an adult child, when she comes home, I understand the need to pat her. <laughs> like, I want to just physically be with her. Um, and sometimes she'll come down and the two of us will hang out on the sofa together. We'll each be reading our own novel, but we're just sitting together. Um, I think that, that, I think that one of the blessings of being together is, is to go back to the fundamentals, to go back to, uh, Martin Buber and talk about, when you sit with someone, you can see the thou. You can even see the image of God in that other person. Um, and you, again, it's not your job to 
to fix someone who's not, because people aren't broken. It's our job to help bring healing. And sometimes just sitting with someone holding their hand, you can sing songs you loved, you can pray together, you can watch TV, but the other person will know you are not alone. I value you. Uh, there, there's a passage in the Talmud, um, and I that, that that talks about actual diagnosis of people with mental health issues called the mm -hmm. Shotet. Yep. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the fact the that I, the, the majority. I'm going to make a generalization because we do a lot of uh, workshop a workshop on Judaism and mental health for in in mm -hmm. our Jewish sacred aging work. Um, when you tell people that this is that this this is in, embedded in our tradition from hundreds and hundreds of years ago, they are blown away. Talk to yes. me about that shote and how our tradition looked at this issue of of uh, mental health awareness. Yeah, and shote is generally translated as imbecile. Uh, which is not how I translate it. Not a helpful translation. I, right. I mean, it's such a judgmental, it's such a judgmental sort of thing. I say it's somebody who's not competent, right? So it starts, we get that the Shoteh, for example, appears right that very first Mishnah of Tractate Hagiga about who has to go up to the, to the temple in Jerusalem for the pilgrimage holidays. Um, and of course the Shoteh, along with the blind, um, and like that is exempted. But it then goes on in the, in the Gemara to say, what is a shoteh? How do you know when someone's not mentally competent? And they have a few things listed, and correct me if I'm wrong, about one who tears their clothing and one who goes to the cemetery at night and one who wanders around. Um, what I like is in the development of the Talmud and like in the development in how Rambam, Maimonides, talks about them in the Mishnah Torah. First of all, it's very clear, and Rambam is very clear, that you, for example, you're not allowed to take advantage of a shotet in business dealings, right? If the person is not competent, then you can't enter into contracts with that person. You might enter into contracts with the person responsible for the shotet, right. but we, we, we can't take advantage of them. They don't know. For example, I have bipolar disorder, and one of the things that happens to me when I am manic is that I like to give money away. Like to give tzedaka. Um, but it's not necessarily appropriate for someone to take a huge gift from me without making sure that I like run it by my husband if I seem a little off. But the other thing that the Talmud makes clear and the developmental of Jewish law is that the status of shoteb might change, which is to say there might be times when you're not competent and there'll be times when that person is competent. Um, and that recognizes kind of a fundamental truth about mental illness, especially biologically based mental illnesses, which is that it's not like on TV, right? Or in the movies where the person has a crisis and he gets help. And then there's this wonderful moving scene in the therapist's office and he starts crying and now it's all better. Right. <laughs> right. Mental illness looks like a sine curve, right? Up and down and up and down, like, like any ongoing illness, like MS, like cancer, right? You, you have, go into remission and everything's going well. And then you might have a recurrence and things are not going well. And I think the Talmud, and already in the Talmud, it recognizes that if the person is not showing signs of being incompetent, of being a shote, 
then we treat them like a regular adult person. But when they are showing signs of, be, of being a shote, it's our job to take care of them. Um, and I think that that's powerful. Um, that all, it's not even stigmatized. It just is. There you go. So the, the, you do a lot of teaching, um, not only in the De greater Denver area with other organizations, synagogues, churches, you were talking before about churches. If somebody wants to, to connect with you, uh, perhaps, uh, you know, bring you in to do a program, there's a website and what is it? Oh, rabbisandracohen.org. And, and you um, can get a hold of me. You can see stuff I've written. You can whatever. I have some mental health resources there. What are you finding um, um, about the stigma? There still seems to be, which I was talking about with, with this couple last, uh, I think it was last week in one of the podcasts. There seems still to be this stigma about talking about mental health issues. It, it, it seems to be that it is easier to have a conversation about cancer yes. than it is on, you know, clinical depression or bipolar or, or, or whatever. And we, I think we want to believe that the times are, are, are changed. We're making great progress. Are we really? Are we really yes. making progress? Good. So I come from a family with lots of mental illness going back many generations. Um, my mother had, my mother had pretty severe depression for a while when I was a child and I was diagnosed with depression as an, as an early teenager. And after, um, and I was, when I was, uh, well, how old I? when I was 34, I had a big stroke, which thank God I mostly recovered from, but it made my mental health stuff much worse. Um, so here's how I know things are getting better, or at least when I was a kid, we didn't talk about, my mother's being depressed or my, or me being depressed. You just didn't talk about it. It wasn't even something somebody said. You just knew. And like when I was a kid and my mom was having a hard time, I felt, um, bewildered and kind of almost gaslit that here's this thing happening that nobody's talking about. And does anybody else see it or is it just me? So a couple of years ago, our Judaism, our committee at my synagogue, the Disabilities Awareness, Acceptance, and Inclusion Committee um, decided to do their, their disability Shabbat on mental illness. And they came to my mental health committee and said to us, can you find people to speak about having a mental illness or living with someone who has one? So I, um, pardon me, long story, making it long. So among other people, I turned to my daughter who was in law school at the time up in Boulder. I said to her, would you like to, I said, we're interested in having you come talk about what it was like to grow up with a parent with a mental illness. And there's this very long pause. And then she says, it was fine. <laughs> I said, they're going to want more than it was fine. Fine, right. So she spoke and she talked about when she was visiting me in the hospital two different times. Once when she was four and a half when I had my stroke. And she remembers that I gave her rides up and down on the bed so she wouldn't be scared. And once, probably when she was about 10, she was talking about how she came to visit me. And we, they brought candles and Kiddush and challah so we could make Shabbat right there and members kissing me goodbye and leaving. And the thing is, is that the first hospitalization was a physical illness, and the second was in a psych ward. 
and my child didn't see any difference. So the stigma of the next, in the next generation, stigma is becoming less and less of an issue. Whereas in our older population, it's still embarrassing to say, I need, I need a therapist. And aging is tough. You need friends and you might need somebody to help talk to about it. There's no shame in that, right? We're just talking about how can we be- make, how can we find our best selves? Um, and sometimes that help is physical and sometimes it's emotional, sometimes it's spiritual and sometimes it's mental, you know? We're talking with Rabbi Sandra Cohen, a consultant, expert, teacher, dealing with Judaism and issues surrounding mental health and mental health awareness. And we'll be back with Rabbi Cohen right after this message. We are health care advocates to help navigate the issues associated with the aging process, to access benefits that are available for those individuals. Rothkopf Law Offices helped us with my mother's home. We didn't know that we had to put it in my mother's name in order to save the home. Everything that he said is true. I mean, I've had, we've had so many questions, and it didn't matter when I call, everybody is always there. In one word, it's been incredible. And the expectations going in, because we didn't know what we were going to be involved with, what the situation, how we were going to deal with any of these items, the expertise, the service, and implementation of the plan has been totally critical to the success that we've experienced. A group who understands how important the care is is paramount. I would highly recommend that anyone look at their website, review the information, look at their client experiences. We've been very satisfied with everything from start to finish. Welcome back to today's edition of Secrets of Meaning. We're with Rabbi Sandra Cohen, and we're talking about uh, Jewish approaches to mental health awareness and the issue of mental health through our tradition. Um, Rabbi Cohen, the this issue of basically, uh, in many cases, depression sparked by this epidemic of loneliness. Uh, several months ago, uh, the New York Times, the Washington Post had these series of articles. Back in that shelf back there is uh, the Surgeon General's book on Together, uh, which he really outlines his whole philosophy of loneliness. The pandemic, we've oh, all wow. lived through the pandemic, um, all familiar with all the statistics. In your, in your work, um, talk to me a little bit about the impact of isolation and loneliness on our generation, on, well, you're younger than I'm, on my generation, uh, and what that does, not only mentally, but the, the, the linkage, because Judaism is a holistic medical system. Oh, yeah. The linkage between the mental system and the physical system. It's, you know, it is terrible. Like, for a long time, um, during the pandemic, we couldn't, for example, go into you couldn't visit people who are living right. in senior facilities. Oh, yeah. How us, right? They couldn't go down and eat together. What do you do when you're locked up in your three rooms all by yourself? Right. And because some older people are great with technology, others are not. Right. And so for some people, they found space on Zoom. Um, I know that the classes I teach for Ollie for the Ollinger Lifelong Learning Initiative, which is for seniors, switched from in-person to Zoom. And while I've done some remote teaching in the past, it was really interesting to see how it changed 
how the discussion in the classroom is different on Zoom. Oh, everything, yeah. Right? You don't ha- you don't know each other as well. People don't have people don't have the break to kind of talk with each other. So people say less, they're more intimidated. They don't feel like they're together together. Um and I think that 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 place of loneliness, we're not meant to be alone, right? Isn't that what that's what God says when God creates Adam? He says it's not good to be alone. Um and and what we might know alone he God sees Adam as being alone even after God creates all these animals, right? Right, being stranded in your apartment with your puppy is probably better than without your puppy, but it's not the same as with other people who can laugh with you and can smile with you and can cry with you, and you can just talk about everything or nothing. Um, my family has been impacted positively. My husband has been working from home since the pandemic started. He now goes into work once or twice a week. And being around each other has been really nice. But I say that as somebody, um, as an introvert married to an introvert, and so we know how to re- re- retreat to our various spaces. But um, but it was really worrisome. Like, was it okay to bring my mom over for Shabbos, or were we endangering her by by eating with us when we don't know what we'd had? That seems like such a basic Jewish loss. Right. right, to not be able to gather around the Shabbat table with your loved ones, with your friends and your family. Um, and I don't know how, and I think we're bouncing back, but very slowly. Slowly, yes. Um, I think that people got out of the habit, for example, of actually going to shul um, in person. And look at the value of if you can go, to, I go to, I mean, I go to synagogue to pray, I go to synagogue to see to fellow friends and, and like that. And the singing in person is so much better than if you're watching it online. It, it, it raises our voice up to God together as a community. Um, and so I think it's really worthwhile for people who have been huddled in their houses um, to find ways to get out and see other people. Um, you know, get vaccinated, get boosted, get boosted, get boosted. Um, but you can't spend, I mean, it's not healthy to spend your whole life holed up and not talking to other people. I think, I really think that being out in public, out to eat with people, out to synagogue, out for a walk with somebody, that the risks inherent in isolating may be greater than the ris- risks at this point of getting COVID. Oh, I think, yeah, I think, you know, that we're, we're, we're seeing that, but we're also seeing, as you're alluding to, that not everybody's rushing back to do everything. Yeah. You know, um, the, one, it's a very interesting thing that's happening, as you alluded to, is uh, many people have gotten used to going to services in just a nice shirt and just, you know, with right. their sweatshirts and, and not having to get up and get dressed and in the, in various places right. with the weather factor. It, it, there is a new sense of community, both electronic and in person, right. but they're right. It, Nothing substitutes for the fact of being in with other people. Yeah. Uh, the impact on older adults, especially people who were alone to begin with. Yeah. Uh, and then had to go through the last two and a half, three years. It even makes it more, more difficult. And we're, look, we're seeing a, a lessened lifespan in the last couple of years. Yeah. All of this. 
all of this compounds it. Right. Even just going to the grocery store, right? Just to to see that there are other people out there, you know? So this this leads me to something else that, that has come up also, and I wanted to get your take on this and, and also I want to know if you if you do workshops or, or classes around this and that is this this issue of suicide tied yeah. to tied to mental health um, mm-hmm. issue how are are you teaching about this how are you dealing with this um, are you seeing also a little rise in a greater ability to say yes I'm going to be more open talking about the suicide in my family or the attempted yeah. suicide talk yeah. to me about that well, I think that people are afraid if they ask someone, if they're thinking about hurting themselves, that they'll be planting an idea in somebody's head. Right. And we know that's not true, right? Suicide prevention training, and I'm involved in some of that, you really ask directly to somebody. And then if you're worried about them, then you get them help. Um, but, um, but I think speaking of suicide in the community really matters a lot. I know that I remember several years ago, a friend of mine, somebody I know from Shul, was standing up and saying Kaddish for her brother who had just passed away. And so I went up and I said, you know, Baruch Zayimad, I'm sorry for your loss. Tell me about your brother. And she kind of did this and whatever. And I finally said, Do you, would you like to tell me how he died? And she said, well, he, he committed suicide. But I don't want to tell anyone that he committed suicide because they'll think bad things about him. Um, and the thing is, or at least at the time, she was probably right. That's certainly out there. You know, what was wrong with him that he killed himself instead of seeing, as one should, that sometimes suicide happens because it's part of an illness, right? But I, I do think that talking about it and talking about it with adults and with kids, right? If you see something, say something. If if there's somebody in your life you're worried about, there are many people to go to. When I talk to kids, it's different, right? Because they don't want to tattle. So for kids, we say tattling is about getting someone into trouble, right? David pushed a lot on the slide. But telling is to get help. I'm worried about my friend. I think she's throwing up in the ba- in the bathroom after she eats. I've noticed some scars where she may have cut herself. What do I do? And the answer is you go find someone. You you find a social worker at your school. You find the rabbi of your congregation. You find your parents. You find their parents. You call the police. There are many people we can tell. And I think in the senior population, uh, at least that I'm seeing, is that there's a sense, there's a sense of despair that this bad, the, Right, especially through the pandemic, there's a sense of what meaning does my life have anymore if I'm just sitting in my apartment and watching television and never doing anything else. Um, and I think that I think that when someone feels like they have a life that has meaning, where they feel like they can contribute to making the world a better place, to making their community better, just to being a good friend. Right, meaning really helps counteract loneliness, and having meaning also counteracts suicide. Right, because if you feel like you you're doing things that matter, then you understand that people don't want you to don't want you to die. Um, and I think that that's 
a piece of suicidality for many people for, who have suicidal ideation. They feel like not only am I in a lot of pain and it's not going to get better, but also that no one will even notice if I kill myself. Right. So, you know, one of the constituents, um, when I was involved with the URJ and ran the Department mm -hmm. of Jewish Family Concerns, and we developed the program on eating disorders and the book on mental health awareness, one of the shocking things that when we did the these projects for congregations was dealing with young adults, with teenagers. Mm -hmm. uh, so one, first question, do you do a lot of work in, in your groups and your teaching with teenagers? And the follow-up, obviously, if the answer is yes, the challenges that seem to be approaching, because I have a 14-year-old, couple of teenage grandchildren, that they're living with in high school, and then the cutting and and the eating disorders and the bulimia and the anorexia and the cyberbullying and all this stuff that seems to be part of growing up now, which at least in my generation was not there in in the way it is now. How are you approaching this in your work from a Jewish perspective? That fourteen year old or fifteen year old. On making that linkage between those midot that you were talking about and the fact that I'm so close that I have to take a razor blade and cut the inside of my thigh in order to feel anything. Well, or, right, so when I talk to Jewish teenagers, we start with Kol Yisrael Aravim Zelozeh, that all Israel is responsible one for the other. To be able to say to teenagers that... Um, that we need to step in to help one another. And I think that that's really hard for them to kind of know that. I know when my kid was a teenager, um, we had several things, including when by the time she was in high school, um, I had a package of condoms in her bathroom. Um, I, and I remember saying to her, you know, I don't think you're ready to have sex yet. If you do, here are the condoms. And I said, and that's true for your, for your friends as well. And my daughter and I were always pretty open with each other about sex issues and things like that. And I, but I told her in high school, if somebody needed to talk to someone and didn't have someone, they couldn't talk to their parents, they were welcome to call me and talk to me. And I would keep it confidential as long as they were not endangering their own lives or someone else's. And some kids actually took me up on it. I think that kids are looking for someone to talk to that that person will help and will not freak out. And will not, they won't get in trouble, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's where we start. I do think that we need to in our synagogues and our religious schools, you know, in B'nai Mitzvah programming and high school programming, you want to talk about mental health issues with young people, partly because they need to know, but partly to say, we are here for you. If you come in and you tell me you're having fantasies about killing yourself, I promise I won't freak out. Right. I promise that I will help walk with you along that line. And I don't know if we're seeing more of it or for just talking about it more. Nah. You know, it, it makes you wonder. I do think that the kids, kids have been terribly isolation for the young adults during the pandemic was terribly difficult on all of them and on little kids and everyone. Um, you know, but it was hard choices to make. Right. No, it's, it's, um, you know? But the, the, the combination of the, the evil twins of shame and guilt. Yes. Um, 
really do need what? Go ahead. What I was going to say is, to me, they're different things, right? Shame is about who you are. Right. Guilt is about what you do. Um. So guilt sometimes is helpful. It helps us change. We'd say, oh, I did that. I didn't want, I don't want to be the person. I don't want to be the kind of person who does that. I'm going to help change, right? So we think about it on Yom Kippur, on, on, right? Repenting. But shame is when you think who you are is bad. And that drives one to depression and suicide. Um, and we, so the question becomes then, how do we help at each person we know, how do we help every person we know to understand that they are created but Elohim in the image of God and not just created in the image of God, but you, each person is a unique vision of that image of God, right? I love the story in the Talmud where they talk about how when a king, Melech Basar Vidam, when a king of flesh and blood makes a coin in his image, Every coin looks exactly the same, right? My dollar bill looks like your dollar bill. But when God creates people in God's own image, we each have a unique reflection of God inside of us. Um, and so it's we're not just valuable because we're people, but we're valuable because each of us is walking around with a special spark of God inside of us that no other person can replace. Right. Whether you're young or old. And the, the the challenge of of celebrating the uniqueness, yeah, is is continues in this society right now to be a real a real challenge, which leads to mental health concerns. Yeah, because uh, we we, my opinion, we still haven't taught in our religious schools enough to celebrate your own uniqueness. Yeah, uh, as opposed to being, you have to do everything like this, um, right. Yeah. And that's a challenge. So uh, before we run out of time, um, again, your website, somebody wants to get a hold of you to continue these conversations. The website is? RabbiSandraCohen.org. Rabbi Sandra Cohen, thank you very, very much. Um, good work. Great work. Uh, I'm very glad you mentioned the rituals. Uh, one of the workshops we do is on new rituals for new life oh, stages. Yeah. And, we, and we include the the Mishabera for people and families dealing with mental health issues because yeah. slowly congregations are beginning to have a Shabbat or out of their caring community or, um, mm -hmm. and if, exactly. So if any of you are interested in getting that, we'll just email me rabbi address at Jewish sacred aging.com and I'll, we'll send you the, um, yeah, we'll send you the, the Mishabera. And, um, and I've got, some much a lot of writing on the website, but you're also welcome to talk to me, right? If we can mention mental health from the Bima over and over and over again, eventually it will have less stigma, just like it worked with cancer. It can work with this. Oh, it works. Uh, I, we all know colleagues who um, stood on the Bima and gave a sermon about one of these taboo topics. Right. And it's the, amazing. Culture, the culture of the congregation changed. Yeah. Uh, and it became, it was like we give permission to talk about this and that stigma is reduced. So, yes. uh, if, for those of you who are planning, um, the suggestion of devoting a Shabbat for mental health awareness, please do it. And, Absolutely. and no matter where you live, there are resources available, Jewishly, secularly, NAMI, 
all kinds of organizations. Yeah. Um, and if you get stuck, give us a call. We'll refer you Rabbi Cohen's website. Don't wait, please. It's really important. You have the potential really to save, save a life. Lives. Absolutely. And that's the most important thing. Rabbi Cohen, thank you very, very much. Oh, thank you for uh, having really me. Appreciate it. You just take care of yourself and um, have a great summer and dry Colorado and all that. Thank stuff. you very much. Thank you so much for having me. To all of you, thank you very much for joining us on today's edition of uh, Secrets of Meaning, the podcast arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. We want to again thank our sponsor, Rothkoff Elder Care Law Firm, uh, located here in southern New Jersey and eastern Pennsylvania, but available to you no matter where you live. You can reach out to them for consultations, help, advice. Um, Rothkofflaw.com, the number 877-475-1101. Again, if you'd like to make a tax-free donation to Jewish Sacred Aging to help us support our work, go to the website, click on the conveniently located donate button, just follow the prompts. If you're interested in sponsorship of some of these podcasts, again, just email me for further information at rabbi address at jewishsacredaging.com. Seekers of Meaning is produced at the Broadcast Center of Lubetkin Media Centers here in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And a big shout out to our technical guru and master, Steve Lubetkin. Thank you again for joining us today. We appreciate your time. We appreciate and value your opinion and suggestions. Until we see each other again on the next Seekers of Meaning, this is your host, Rabbi Richard Address, wishing you shalom, take care of yourself, stay healthy, and most of all, be kind. Shalom. Thank you.